0: Peter, thanks for joining me today. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this discussion uh, to catch up on um, Camp Kotak, which I regrettably missed, and uh, also your your thoughts on uh, macro thoughts on a lot of topics. So thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Steve. Good to see you. Always uh, fun to chat. Yeah, thanks. So,
0: so let's jump in. Um, tell me, what, I, what did I miss uh, at uh, Camp Kotak? I know that uh David uh created a safe environment that operates under chatham house rules and uh so so what can you share with us and I'm really interested in your kind of high level takeaways so. Well, it was much the same
1: but definitely different uh the same in that we ate, we drank, we caught fish, and um uh that was all the same and and, and we talked and chatted about. A lot of different important things, and I'll get deeper into that after. And then, what was different, of course, is because of COVID, they split the weekend into two, uh, with half uh, the week I went and half the week prior. Uh, the benefit to that was we each got our own room, and you didn't have to hear your your bunkmates snoring all night. But on the other hand, we weren't all together, and uh, there were some good friends of mine that was the first week. Luckily, also good friends of mine the second week, but uh, maybe next year we can get everybody together. Uh, but then maybe I'll have to bring my earplugs for sleeping at night. Yes. Uh, what I think was also good about the conversation, at least at night, as you know, we we sort of set topics for what to talk about at dinner is rather than the typical uh, conversation on what's the Fed going to do or where's the economy going or is the stock market going up and down, we actually talked about, other things Um, there was a uh, a woman who works for the Canadian Arctic organization so she talked about uh, the Arctic and it's since many countries have sort of a piece of it how um, they're all interrelating with the environmental changes going up there and so on Uh, so that was a topic of discussion then it you know gets into the whole debate of Global warming and this and that, and you know everyone's got their uh, opinions on that. Uh, then w- the next night was discussion on long COVID, which um, is becoming more commonplace. Unfortunately, for those that that get COVID and have longer term, well, we don't know longer term yet, but have symptoms and uh, effects that last more than just a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And uh, then, of course, there was uh, another individual. It was a son and a father. uh, And unfortunately, the son had struggling with, I can't even pronounce what he has, but it's sort of an offshoot uh, of of, of mono or Lyme disease, where it's just this perennial uh, Mm. uh, lethargy and and exhaustion that that one feels. Uh, But it was really inspiring to hear how he's, managing through it but also on the other hand sad that has uh, consumed his his young adult life so far and hoping to find uh how to manage it i don't know if there's initially a cure the hope is that the body sort of grows out of it but uh so it was again different than the normal conversation even though of course on our side conversations and the conversations and the fishing boats was uh everything that you'd expect it to be uh and then you throw in crypto and uh so it, it was good and uh we hope to hang out with you next year.
0: Well, thanks. I uh, I missed uh, I, some of the things that were. I don't miss the snoring in the tight cabin <laughs> uh, to set the stage. Um, uh, I hope Scott's not listening, but the, this is this is rustic outdoor cabin living. Now there are restrooms in in the bathrooms in each of each of the cabins, but you've got two rooms. Uh, each room has two bunks. Uh, essentially. And uh, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, when you go out on the boat and on that pristine lake uh, and throw a, throw a, a hook into the water uh, with, it's usually two people in a canoe with a guide. Um, and it's, uh, it really is super peaceful. So what a beautiful place. Did you catch many fish? So the first day was really hot, uh, just
1: as it was in the Northeast. It was probably 90, plus. Uh, and for some reason the fish didn't want anything to do with that kind of air. So the first day, which is, I was, I got there Thursday late afternoon. So Friday was my first day. I caught one fish and I was with two others in the boat. They each caught one fish. So we caught three fish, uh, all morning into early afternoon. So that was, um, that was a bust. Um, but the next day going into it, I said, you know what, all I have to do is catch two fish And, uh, you know, I exceeded yesterday
0: and it turns out
1: myself and somebody else, we caught probably 45 fish. Wow. So it was, it was quite different It cooled down that day. So, uh, I'm sure the outdoor weather change had an influence, but, uh, it was a good day. And it got to the point where every time you would sit down and, and recast, boom, you'd get another fish. I'm like, wait, I I need a breather here for a second. Cause, uh, but it's, there's nothing like sitting out on a boat, and looking out at this, the vastness of Grand Lake Stream and the different lakes within that sort of ecosystem and where there's almost no development on the lake and you're just literally in the middle of, of nowhere and there's just something very peaceful and you sort of rid your mind and body of, of all the work-related or personal-related tensions you may have uh, and it is
0: refreshing for a couple of days. Yeah, that's, that's great. Okay, so talk a little bit about lunch. Um, everybody gathers. The canoes go to kind of an island type of location. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guides set up the grill. Uh, somebody has brought out all the wines that uh, everybody brings up, uh, a handful of wines, so all of those present. Uh, so day one, there wasn't much fish. It was mainly uh, chicken probably.
1: Well, yes. That, well, luckily some other boats had more success than we did. So we did get a little fish and chips. The oh. second day we were flooded with the, 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 with, with the, with the fried fish uh, that they cooked, which was great. And you know, great sausage and chicken. Yes. And uh, it, it was delicious. It got to the point where, you know, you end up eating and drinking for hours at lunch and you're like by 2, 2.30, you're ready to just go back to uh, the lodge um, you know, maybe even sneak in an afternoon nap or jump into the lake. Uh, but yes, to your point earlier about being rustic, it certainly is. Uh, I, I went to camp as a kid, uh, up North of Lake George. So I had an experience growing up with rustic. Uh, but then when you come an adult, you feel like, well, you know, rustic was back when I was a kid, but it sort of brings you back to, back to that. And, uh, it, it, it's it's all good. You you take the uh you take that that rustic feel. You take that uh, intermittent Wi-Fi, where sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Uh, all for the great experience of being with friends, and having great conversations, and being on a beautiful lake and eating and drinking good food.
0: Nothing better than slowing down and connecting with Earth. Uh, yes, with, with with people you really enjoy being with. Okay, so this let's. This is certainly that. Let's jump, into, let's jump into that a little bit. First, um, I love your letter and uh, your perspective. Uh, can you share with us your latest thinking? Let's go kind of macro in terms of uh, inflation, deflation, transitory, mm-hmm. non-transitory, uh, and uh, int- interest rates, um, uh, recession, probability, timing, uh, and um, the Fed? So to me, everything, everything, and I
1: emphasize everything from here going forward over the next, through the rest of the year, certainly well through 2022, maybe, I believe, into 2023, is the inflation story. Uh, When you look back the last 40 years, We've had declining rates of inflation, which has allowed central banks to quickly respond to any external events, whether that is uh, the nineteen eighty seven crash or that is um, the Asian crisis in ninety seven or ninety eight with with the the Russian ruble collapsing and ltCM and where let's just you know we'll spawn and cut rates and and of course, the, the tech bubble when uh, rates were cut from five and a quarter to one. And, uh, and then, of course, the great financial crisis when they were cut down to zero after being raised. I'm sorry, it actually, Greenspan cut rates from six and a half to one. It was Bernanke that cut from five and a quarter to zero. And having low inflation or inflation on a rate of change basis declining, Sort of gave license to central banks to do what they did, which then of course accumulated, encouraged a lot of accumulation of debt. Uh, so now this inflation story, I believe taking hold, sort of muddies the waters uh, because it, it it lessens the ability of, well, it pressures central bankers to respond to the inflation, but then it also le- uh, restricts their ability to respond to anything that may come our way, like. You know the Delta variant, for example. Uh, so I think that's the, the position that we're in right now. And, and I'm not talking about double digit 1970s inflation, even though we certainly have double digit housing inflation. Uh, that is is a big part of the inflation story that we're going to see and hear about over the coming quarters and into next year is it's going to embed itself in rents in a very aggressive way. And I say rents because that is what is included in PCE and CPI. And How the government calculates the inflation stats. So we have 1970s type inflation in housing. We certainly have 1970s type inflation in the cost of shipping, whether that is procuring a container on a boat or uh, getting a truck to deliver something uh, or even cargo via air. Uh, And then we certainly have 70s type inflation of a lot of different things. In fact, we have the most widespread inflation pressures since the 1970s, when you break out inflation between services and goods, every single good that is produced in the world right now is experiencing that transportation inflation, and they're experiencing commodity inflation and the shortages of raw materials, uh, the shortages of labor. It's not just the US issue. It is uh, felt overseas. And then on the services side, there's no such thing as temporary services inflation in the US. It is always higher. And the years leading into COVID, it was averaging about 3% a year. Uh, it was the, um, the lid kept on goods inflation. In fact, the 20 years leading into COVID, core goods inflation within CPI averaged zero. Hmm. Services inflation in the 20 years leading into COVID averaged 2.8%. So now you have, you're marrying a reacceleration of services inflation led by rents which we are going to be exceeding 3% for a while when, when rental gains start to embed themselves in CPI, because it hasn't yet in the statistics, but it has yet in a lot of other um, studies like apartment list, national report said that in July rents were up two and a half percent just from June. The BLS told us it was up two tenths. You can drive a truck through both of those calculations, right? So you have a reacceleration in services inflation, and you have uh, the most intense pressure on goods prices since the 1970s. And yeah, we're going to see, depending on how China manages this, the Delta variant on their zero tolerance of spread approach, that will lead to a pullback in commodities that we're seeing right now, particularly copper and you know even oil. Last time I checked down to around $63 in WTI. Uh, we've seen a decline in lumber prices, but broader commodities. Uh, the CRB World Industrials Index is just off its ten-year high. Uh, you have, like I said, transportation costs that are remain are getting even more intense. Uh, you had China uh, closing for a week, the third largest in terms of volume ports in the entire world, which then backs up everything else. You have the shortage that we know of semiconductors, which is resulting in auto plant shutdowns. Even today, I read Stellantis. Uh, Volkswagen, Toyota, all cutting production numbers because they can't get enough chips. Now, some of this will normalize somewhat, but this is going to take time. It's going to be it's going to be spread out, I believe, over a multi year period. And the problem is just slowing to a three to four percent type inflation rate is a problem because the world's debt levels, the world's level of asset prices certainly the world's level of interest rates is not prepared for a sustained period of three to 4% type inflation. Zero interest rates is not really compatible with 3% inflation. If that, if we end up seeing that in Europe, zero interest rates and massive QE is not really compatible with three to 4% inflation here. And the problem with inflation is, is that, that, that slows growth because wages aren't growing that fast. So you have at least over the, well, because we've had even more aggressive inflation over the past seven months, where it's north of 6 to 7% on a core basis, you have falling real wages. Falling real wages ends up resulting in slower consumer spending. Slower consumer spending slows overall growth. And the higher inflation, the less real GDP you have. So it it, it makes um, the Fed's approach to focusing on maximum employment rather than inflation Sort of a, uh, a mistaken path. And one that Arthur Burns took in the 1970s, but, but Powell and his colleagues don't learn that lesson that you can't have maximum employment and strong growth unless you have stable prices and low inflation. So that gets into the situation where growth is now slowing. because The stag part is slowing because of high inflation. And then of course you, you throw in Delta, but I think Delta is really mostly affecting those countries that are reacting to it harshly. The US economy is going to work through Delta because we have no choice. We are not going to see more shutdowns. Now on the margin, will less people maybe travel? Yes. Well, maybe they go out for dinner. Less, maybe some. But these are vaccines have proven to be very effective. And uh, I, I think we power through COVID. So, but if China is going to shut down factories, they're going to shut down ports for weeks at a time. Then it just screws up, screws up, the whole global supply chain. So even if you get a moderation in demand, uh, supply is, is, is going to get worse too. Uh, you know you take oil, for example, yeah, we're going to get probably less demand for crude, but you're also going to get much less supply as well. So uh, I think this is a problem and we're going to reach a point where uh, is the Fed to use them since they're going to possibly be tapering soon, Are they gonna focus and get scared about the economic slowdown because of of Delta and all these supply problems? Or are they gonna say, we need to control inflation first because if we can control inflation, well then by moderating demand, maybe that will allow the supply chains to catch up and we can improve real wages. And that's gonna be the the decision point that we're going to reach here. And then you take it one step further. I hope I'm not rambling here. Uh, when you think about where this can all go, because every notable stock market correction since 2010, outside of the uh, Chinese yuan devaluation in 2015 and COVID, was surrounded by Fed tightening, whether that was ending QE or that was increasing rates. QE1 ended June uh, March 2010. We rallied for three weeks then we sold off 16%. QE2 ended June 2011, we we, we traded, uh, you know, elevated for three weeks, then we sold off 18%. QE3 ended, uh, it was was being tapered and sort of came to a conclusion in the fall of 2014. And that coincided with uh, a 10% correction. Then two months after, then, then immediately, weeks after, Yellen raised rates for the first time in December 2015, we had a sell off. Uh, then 2016, um, they didn't raise rates for a year later. And what kept the market going in 2017 was the corporate tax increase. I'm sorry, the corporate tax cut, which elevated markets in 2017 and allowed us to weather, uh, more rate hikes, but then they raised again in December, 2017. Then we had the the volatility blow up in January, February, 2018, and then, of course, we know what happened in the fourth quarter, of 2018, the market fell 20% as Powell kept on hiking. So um, that is what we face here. Is,
0: inflation wasn't the issue at those prior times.
1: Right. It was just so. the Fed that said, OK, you know, seven years of keeping rates at zero, enough is enough. Uh, six and a half years after the recession ended, enough is enough. Let's start raising interest rates because they also realized that you need to normalize in order to... Refill your ability to then ease again. If you just have rates at zero forever, then you have you totally lose effectiveness, aka Bank of Japan and the ECB, uh, where then you have nothing to 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 respond to uh, economic downturns. But now, because of inflation uh, entering this, because of stagflation being part of this equation, bottom line is inflation stag- slash stagflation is kryptonite to any central banker mm-hmm. it is the one thing that can reduce their powers just like kryptonite was the one thing that can hurt Superman and um, that is what we're now facing and, and from an investing standpoint which the two of us both do you know I argue that it's gonna make things tough um, it's gonna make things more challenging because it's a landscape that many are not used to and you know I laugh when we look at you know the Uh, inflation uh, surveys within like take university of Michigan confidence where they ask people as part of a broad array of questions, what is your one year inflation outlook, you know, in terms of of percent and what is your five to 10 year. Now we've seen a big rise in the one year level to, I think the last rating was 4.6% but the longer term, five to 10-year, was relatively muted up until last Friday, where it actually went up to a 10-year high. Because most people being asked this question were either not alive in the 1970s, or were a kid, like the two of us. We were kids in the 1970s. And other than you know, maybe we saw gasoline lines, but we didn't fully understand why or what that meant for many people's budgets. So I think that, again, I'm not calling for 1970s inflation. I'm just calling for Sticky, non-transitory, persistent inflation that is going to be three to four percent that we settle out at, and um, that's that's a new world in my opinion.
0: And the level of debt everywhere uh, won't stop that, won't slow that. Well,
1: bit. inflation is typically cyclical uh, in goods, as I as I argued. Services, it's not cyclical; it's always persistently higher. Right. So. Um, but all you need is, and so when you look at bouts of inflation in the history of the world, a lot of it derived from excessive government spending. And then you can combine that with, with monetary monetization, uh, which essentially we have right now. So any inflation we see is going to be cyclical in the sense that you know, we'll have a run up and then it'll come back down again. But my point is that all you, all you need is a couple of years of inflation that doesn't fall back down so quickly. That's a problem. Yeah, at some, I mean, this whole transitory term, you can argue, well, the 1970s was transitory too, because it eventually went away. Even though inflation rose in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, we know it was the rate of change that slowed. Uh, yeah, maybe the rate of change will eventually slow back down to yeah, 15 percent
0: 15 equity market performance was a zero to us right now, through that period. So
1: I, I just, we're not priced for any period of time on a sustainable basis of higher inflation, so that gets to the stag part. You talk about the debt. Well, that leads to the stag part. But all that debt can't produce in like that more semiconductors. No. We still need all. We st- that's going to take two years to to fully build out um, more semiconductor capacity to deal with what we have. But we still have to get through the next two years.
0: Right. Uh, so. Uh, th-
1: so that that that's the, i think that the environment that we're in and that
0: doesn't factor in the geopolitical pressures that are going on right now they're slowing that and likely slowing that uh going forward
1: yeah it, it that, that's going to be the case and and you know take semis that we're going to build more semis here uh rather than overseas and you know that, that's a higher cost of of doing business uh so i i, I think that um We're entering an interesting stage of uh, of the economy and markets, and and I guess I'll bottom line the market analysis on this is that valuations now matter, and um, you know there's one thing to pay thirty times sales for some exciting tech company when uh, easing is full pedal to the metal and and Fed can do whatever they want, but once that circumstance changes, just going from a thirty multiple to a twenty without any change in revenues or earnings, and obviously some of these companies don't even have earnings, that's a 33% decline in the stock
0: without any change in their business. A medium, medium fair value for the um, S&P would take it down about 50% from where we are today, just to get back to a medium fair value. Uh,
1: right, uh, yes. So that's why this inflation story is so crucial to, as as it plays out now, hopefully, maybe supply chains could normalize, and maybe if there's enough demand destruction, uh, it happens sooner rather than later. But a lot of demand destruction means a recession, and you know that's not good either. So um, there are a lot of sort of tough choices and possible medicine that we're going to have to absorb uh, in 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 the coming years.
0: So what are because what are
1: you, of because of inflation?
0: What so what is your a uh, quick summary game plan of how to approach this from an investment perspective? So
1: I do think that you need to be in companies that have pricing power, uh, that have, um, you know, inelasticity in to their demand. Uh, I do think once we deal with this, the Delta situation, um, I think the level of demand for, for oil, for example, is, is going to be still pretty good. Uh, for, for at least the next couple of years, obviously at some point that's going to change, but I think on the supply side, there's, there's been a lack of demand for years and there's going to be even more of a lack of investment in, in energy. I mean, what, what, what CEO is saying, waking up every day and saying, I'm going to invest brand new money in all these new projects. No, they're just trying to milk their current business for cash that they can give back to shareholders for dividends and stock buybacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been years of underinvestment in copper, uh, that there's going to be a a lot of demand coming from new areas of the world, particularly renewable vehicles or renewable sources of energy and particularly electric vehicles with batteries that command five to six times more copper uh, than a car with an internal combustion engine. Uh, There's still plenty of good value stocks out there that already embed low expectations, and i do think over the next 10 years international markets will outperform us markets i think it's even possible that the german dax outperforms the s&p 500 over the next 10 years and that asian uh, stock markets even like japan uh, can outperform the s&p over the next 10 years just because the s&p led by big cap tech have so dominated markets global markets over the past 10 years and that I mean, take Apple, for example, at a $2.5 trillion market cap, uh, which is more than 10% of US GDP, I'd be hard-pressed to think that that goes to $5 trillion over the next 10 years. And it certainly is up a lot more than you know, a double over the previous 10 years. It's up multiples of that. So I just think that it's just harder to grow when you get to those kind of market caps and, and just the law of competition and uh, you know, histories of the world where... Leaders in in one decade uh, lag the following decade.
0: Have you shifted your exposures to fixed income, traditional fixed income?
1: So the only only areas of fixed income that I'm in right now is in in my portfolios that I manage as a firm, we have still broad diversification of fixed income, but we are fully understanding that where the last 40 years, that fixed income exposure was not just a an area of of good returns, both coupon and capital gains, but it was also a ballast and cushion to any turbulence in the equity market. Now, that fixed income, if it's shorter duration, still may be a ballast in the storm and a cushion, but it is not a place anymore for good returns. It should be looked at more as a place for capital preservation instead. So under the hood there, at least in the portfolios I manage, I am only in tips, even though they've had a nice run here, I still think there's more to it. And also uh, non-European, non-Japanese, non-US sovereign bonds. So that includes both emerging markets and developed, developed would be like South Korea or even Canada or Sweden or Norway uh, being in, because in emerging markets, But here's the catch, is you need to take local currency risk. Uh, These are non-dollar bonds. So uh, if you want a 5% yield, shorter duration, yeah, you can get that. But there are obviously some trade-offs. But overall fixed income, I see zero value in US investment grade, zero value in high yield. Uh, I see uh, very little value in in bank loans, even though more people have gotten into it because they think the Fed's going to start raising rates. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think that the Fed can even get through tapering QE, let alone eventually raising
0: interest rates. One last thought is, uh, one one last question is, uh, has to do with the quality of the credit that exists, both in those bank rate funds, in the U.S. corporate junk bond markets. Uh, Do you see, uh, how would you rate the probability for a credit crisis?
1: Well, I think with default rates down to almost nothing again, and a lot of these bonds priced as if default rates will stay down, uh, if this stagflationary environment lasts and growth slows, uh, yeah, we'll be headed for another credit problem because you can be sure when rates are at zero and the Fed is doing QE at an annualized pace of one4 trillion dollars Mm -hmm. that um, people will regret the loans that they've made over the last couple of years and buyers will regret ceding and giving up a lot of protections that they used to have in terms of covenants.
0: Yeah, they're gone. Uh, That's an area of particular interest for many, many years for me. And uh, I've never seen the credit quality worse. It never has been worse. Uh, The yields are Uh, just coming off a record low spreads, record low real yields, uh, uh, and record low nominal yields, uh, it's hard to make an argument that there's a lot of value there. Um, I've seen in my career three epic uh, investment opportunities uh, trading high yield. Uh, And uh, I keep saying this next one's going to be the best in, in my 30 plus years of trading high yield. So uh, we'll see. No guarantees, and uh, but it sure is set up for that. And inflation uh, could be a spark that uh, creates the liquidity, causes liquidity move away. I I, I think it will be. Um, I think it will be. Yeah, I really appreciate your thoughts. I miss being with you this year. Thanks, Steve. Same here. Jumping a boat with you next year. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks.